0: And we wonder why we have so many problems. It's because we're not balancing the scales. It's because we're not walking worthy of Jesus Christ. The problem's not God. The problem's not his grace. The problem's not his mercy. The problem is us. We refuse to look and to walk worthy. We refuse to balance. We want to get on the scales first, and then we want God to balance things out. Peg, let's give the Lord a hand this morning, please. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, let's open our Bibles again this morning to Ephesians chapter 4, and and, uh, we'll continue through those verses, word by word and verse by verse, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. So our series that we're talking about is a clearly different way to walk. Now, we've been talking about that for the last few weeks, and we want to continue on that. And this morning, we want to look at this at this title, this theme, if you will, this morning, the power to change, the power to change. I was thinking um, about that word Christian, Christian. Now uh, we all say that we're Christians, right? Everybody, give give the Lord a hand if you if you're a Christian. Absolutely, we we call ourselves Christian, and what that means is that means a follower of Christ. It it, it has to do with our walk, right? Now, um, a Christian, then we understand by the very biblical definition of Christian is is that we're followers of Christ, and that is that we walk in a different way. That is that we walk. As Christ. And being that we're Christians, there's some other names, and we talked about them last week, that, that, that describes who we are. And those two are evangelicals. Are you evangelical? In other words, we evangelize the gospel of Jesus Christ. Shouldn't all Christians be evangelical, everybody? Absolutely, sure. and then of course, we also we also call ourselves born again, born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. and so so really those three words, Christian, evangelical, and born again, those words should be synonymous, shouldn't they? Well, I really think unfortunately, it, 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 they're not anymore, are they? I mean, a lot of people call themselves Christians, but they don't have any other clearer of a walk of Christ than they do of the rest of the world. Everybody say Amen, and 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 so we understand that. And so that word has kind of evolved, unfortunately, to not mean a whole lot other than the name. Tommy and I, when we was in in Israel um, many years ago, <clears throat> I guess we were kind of naive. And so when we, got to, when we got to Israel and we were coming in on a bus to Jerusalem, and Avi was our what – was, what was he telling me? He was our tour guide, and he was, he was Jewish. He was, he was a Jew. And, and so I kind of looked out and I saw all these people, and I thought, my, isn't this amazing? Look at all these Jewish people. And so I asked Avi. I said, I said so everybody in Jerusalem, everybody in Israel are Jews? and he goes he goes well there's palestinians and i said well i mean but from the hebrew descent so you know i had this thing in my mind that everybody was 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 jews they were practicing judaism and he said no he said you know probably 80% of the people they just call themselves jews they're no really lovers of god And I think that word Christian has has worked its way that way. Don't y'all think so in a certain way? I mean, we all kind of call ourselves Christians, but that word Christian, it should mean the same thing as evangelical. It should mean the same thing as born again. Now, there are scores of people who claim Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, but listen close, but whose lifestyle shows little difference from that of the rest of the world. We've been talking about that these last few weeks. Now, we understand that, uh, that when we, people routinely call themselves Christians, um, and that's a great thing, but we see these people also routinely stilling, living like the rest of the world, given to anger and rage like the rest of the world. But, but we're looking in this series that there should be a clearly different walk of being born again, being an evangelical, being a Christian. Amen, everybody? So we get that, and that's the premise that we're coming from this morning. So taking these patterns down to a personal level, I know that there are some in this room who struggle and agonize with weaknesses with weaknesses, and I I, I look across our pews, and I don't know your personal life, but I understand that there are personal, agonizing things in your life that you struggle with, weaknesses, Besetting sins, some perhaps are given to anger, some perhaps like, likes to gossip, some are being involved in premarital sex, some, some has an addiction to pornography, some has an addiction to alcohol or drugs. What we want to see this morning is, is, that, is, that, is that while there are those struggles, there still is a call for us to walk a clearly different walk. So, how do we do it? Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four. How do we change? I'm born again. I, I remember I come to the altar and I accepted Jesus Christ and pastor man i 'm telling you pastor I I, I I profess with my mouth, and pastor I, I God knows I believed in my heart and and, and there 's conviction in my life but but man pastor I just it, it's just it's just i 'm struggling here with with being mad all the time and, and rage all the time and gossiping and talking behind people 's backs. Your walk is not clearly defined as being a Christian. And so you struggle and you say, I can't, what's going on here? Well, we see here in Ephesians chapter 4, God shows us what the power is to change. Don't you want to change? Don't you want to be free from that bondage? You know, to be able to fly, to be able to have peace in your life, and to live that abundant life that Jesus Christ has given you? I mean, that's what He promises. So how do we change, and how do we have that clearly different walk to follow Christ? What is that change, and how does it happen? What is it? Well, look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter four, here we go. He says, "Therefore I this is the apostle paul he's 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 being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is breathing the words to the Apostle Paul for the, for the Ephesians church as well as for all believers including us. And so he says, therefore I, the Apostle Paul, and remember he says, the prisoner of the Lord, look at me. This is a picture of a man in chains in fetters, right John? He's fettered. And he's saying to these people and he's saying to us that he's saying, I'm, in, I'm under arrest and, and, and I'm fixing to be executed. And he says, it's worth it to walk a different walk, a clearly different walk, to be a follower and a lover of Christ. He's saying, here are my chains. It's worth it. And he says here, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you, I urge you, I beseech you. He's saying that he has given us a summons. Remember that from two weeks ago? A summons. This is not an option. This is not an invitation. This is that if you're a born-again believer, that you are summoned to this. And look at it. He says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been Called, and last week we introduced that word worthy. Now everybody, listen up. We understand as being born again. We're being implored, we're being urged, we're being summoned to walk worthy. So that word worthy is a picture of a scale. Now we talked about a teeter totter last week, remember? But this kind of signifies a scale. Signifies a scale. Now. What Paul and the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit, what God is asking us and showing us and telling us this, and this is the picture of the word worthy. Let me get it over just a little bit more. He's saying you take everything that the Lord has done, Jesus Christ, His 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 descension from from heaven to earth. He walked a perfect life. He died for your sins. You take all of that, and He has and He and He resurrected. He ascended to heaven. You take all that that Christ did. And then you take all that Christ has done for you, for you and for all of us, you take what Christ has done personally for you, and you take an account of what Christ is, and you take an account for what Christ is going to do. Are you with me so far? And you put that on one side of the scale. You put that on one side of the scale. And again, here's the word worthy. And the word worthy means now that you you take your life and you put it on the other side of the scale and balance it. And the word worthy means to balance the scale. Worthy means to balance the scale. All that Christ has done, all that he is, all that he's done for you personally, and all that he's going to do, you put it on one side, and now you as a Christian, you've been summoned to walk worthy, to balance the scale of what Christ has done, and is doing, and is going to do. That's How we are to live, that's how we are to walk, that's how we are to do all things in life. Everybody, so how are you doing? If you got on the scale and to see if you're worthy, how do do you balance the scale of what Christ has done and what he is and what he's going to do? That's the question. And so we see next here, look at verse 2. So if we're walking worthy in verse two, then that means that we will that we will that we will show forth humility and gentleness and patience and forbearing one another and love. Look at verse three: being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So if we're walking worthy, we're going to, we're going to be a people. We're going to be a people who are humble... In other words, you're not self-centered. You think of other people before you think of yourself. It means that if you're you're walking worthy, if you balance the scales, if that's how you're living, then you're not only going to be humble, but you're going to be gentle. You're not going to be argumentative. You're not going to try to find everything and every mistake with everybody in this world. You're going to be gentle. You're going to put that power under control. And then, of course, if you balance those scales and other attributes you're going to have in in Jesus Christ. Christ is that you're going to be patient. You're not going to be reactionary. You're not going to jump to conclusions. You're going to be patient. And then, of course, you're going to be forbearing rather than judgmental towards other people. We will be sort of a people who generate, look at verse three, we'll be a sort of people who generate harmony in our homes and in our church. Everybody say amen. Now, So many of the sinful habits and patterns we are losing the battle with have to do with these four attitudes. So how do we become like this? How do we become humble and gentle and patient and forbearing? How do we balance out that scale? How do we have that walk that we're supposed to have? Well, to find our answers, we see it in verses 7 to 10. Now, I want you to read those with me real quick because these verses take us us to a very mysterious place. Everybody listen close. A very mysterious place. Something that we don't always think about or talk about because we kind of don't know. Because the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it. And it's that time period of what Jesus was doing when he was in the tomb. You ever thought about that? What was Jesus doing while he was in the tomb? now he was 100% man but he was 100% god and we know that man is made up of of soul and spirit but what was he doing well these verses along with 1 Peter chapter 3 tell us what Jesus Christ was doing you ready to get you ready to look at it Ephesians chapter 4 look at verse 7 so i just want to back up and so if we're all walking in the spirit we balance the scales we're going to have humility, gentleness, patience, and we're going to have tolerance for one another, right? And because we have those four great att- attributes, then we're going to have unity. That's what verses 3 through 6 say. Cornerstone Baptist Church will be a church of unity. Your homes will be a will be a home of unity. Your 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 child your relationship with your child will be unity. That's what that provides for us. And then you go to verse 7 through 10, and it shows us how to make this change. And here it is. But to each each one of us, I I love this. Look at it. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says... And he quotes the Old Testament. When he ascended on high, he led captive, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, we know that Jesus Christ, the incarnate man, we know that he descended from heaven to earth. But this text says that he went into the inner parts of the earth, different. Verse 10, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Father, we love you. And Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name, praising you for the word that we have this morning. And, Lord, um, I pray for every single one of us here this morning that uh, as we're going through this series of of having a clearly different walk, that, Lord, will see the balancing of this word worthy, the balancing of the scales, walking worthy of the calling, the vocation in which we, we have been called by the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, in how we're to be, but how to change. So, Lord, I pray that all of us here, Lord, will just glean into your word. And perhaps, Lord, if there's some here that's never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that, God, that you'll call them this morning into a personal, intimate relationship with you. And, Lord, I pray for the rest of us who just need to daily step on those scales and to walk worthy of our calling We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. So what was Jesus doing those three days? How can that help us make a long-lasting change in our lives? How can we be a people of forgiveness and humility and gentleness and forbearing and patient? How does that all work? Well, let me give you three points here this morning. In verses 7 through 10, number one, number one, every Christian can change. Everybody, listen to me. Every born-again, evangelical, every Christian can change. Can I have an amen? Every one of us can change. You know, um, it, it says here that something extra was given, and it says that in verse 7. Something extra was given. That is, Jesus Christ has given a gift, a gift of grace. When you were saved, Jesus threw some extra stuff your way. When you got saved, some grace was given to you. You were saved by grace, but there was something a little bit more given to each one of us by the measure of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And after showing you grace and saving your soul, it says that again that he added something very special. And along with the saving grace, listen, he gives you serving grace. He gives you living grace. He gives you a certain kind of grace that allows you to serve others and to serve God Himself. Verse seven reads: Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Christ of Christ's gift. So to every true believer, Jesus gives a capacity. He gives the enabling, the supernatural ability to pass on grace to one another. Thus, we have unity in verses 3 through 6. Do you see it? Do you see how it works there? We are given the gift to serve God and to serve others, thus promoting unity. And if we have unity in our church, if we have unity in our homes, then guess what? We have unity with God, don't we? Now... He works in you so that you become a conduit of his goodness in the lives of others and in him. In other words, he rewires your inner world so that you are a channel through whom he can work, passing grace on so that others are strengthened, encouraged, and given wisdom. That's how he uses us. Listen, to understand that and to know that, we've got to step on the scales, you know, I think what we want to do all the time is, is, is we don't want to look at the scales. We want to, we want to, we want to do what's easy for us to do. We want to act the way we want to act and we want to be selfish and we want and all these different things. But first of all, we have to be willing to get on that scale. And are we worthy of Jesus Christ? Are we balancing the scales? Because if we're not balancing the scales, then we're not going to pr- pr- promote unity and harmony in the body of Christ. And we wonder why we have so many problems. Why, why is this going wrong? And why can't I have this? And why isn't this? It's because we're not balancing the scales. It's because we're not walking worthy of Jesus Christ, right? The problem's not God. The problem's not his grace. The problem's not his mercy. The problem is us. We refuse to look and to walk worthy. We refuse to balance. We, what we want to do is we want to get on the scales first, and then we want God to balance things out. Listen to me. It doesn't work that way. We have all been given that grace, that measure of grace, but we just don't want to use that grace. We want to do what's comfortable for us. We want to be selfish about it in our own, in our own minds, and our own lives. I received an email this week from somebody in our church, and they're not talking about anybody in specific, but they were reading and 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 just the Lord just just gave him some words, and he sent this to me, and he said. Um, How horrible is it that someone would leave a church for anything other than the truth not being preached? There is a connection, I think, between marriage of a husband and wife and Christ and his bride. The Lord hates divorce. And someone who divorces their church, I think God hates just the same. If your church proclaims the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, if your church is a house of prayer, and if your church fulfills the role of being the pillar and foundation of the truth, then serve her. If she's not, then she is quarrelsome and an angry bride, and she would be better off dying alone in the desert. What do you think? Unity. Humbleness gentleness, patience. All of those things provide unity, whether it's in a home or whether it's the church. Everybody, amen? Now, back to our text. Notice the personal touch in the last part of the verse. Notice this grace. And again, this grace and that provides unity, the potential unity for families and for churches. Notice this grace. And we got to balance the scale. This grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's, look at it, of Christ's gift. You ever thought about that? Jesus acts out of his own generosity. You get it? Exactly tailoring this gift of grace to fit who you are. Now, everybody listen. We're all giving gifts, and some of us receive teaching gifts. Some of us, um, um, you know, evangelizing gifts or, or, you know, the gift of giving, whatever. But, But for all of us, there's a measure of gift giving for us to serve other people and to serve God. And listen to me. He tailors it just for you so that it's not too heavy for you and so that you can bear the grace that is given to you. We just have to be willing to say, okay, God, you're right. You're God and, and, and the grace, and so I'm going to serve you. Amen? And that's this, this measure, this gift that Christ has given to every believer it meshes with our unique personality to bring about God's glory and great joy in all of our lives. By the way, judging others, talking about people behind their back, talking about the pastor or the staff or whatever it is, that's a gift, but that's not a gift from Jesus Christ. Amen. Promote unit, unity. Promote unity. Our actions should be humble, gentle, patient, forbearing, and love. Every Christian can change. Listen, we all have struggles and, and, and we all have besetting sins, but listen to me close. All Christians can change. If you're not born again, you may not be able to change. If, 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 you're not, if you're not born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, you may not be able to change. But because of that grace that Christ has given, that, listen, every born-again believer, everyone who is a Christian can change, can change. You know, you, you, think about a, you think about a caterpillar. You know, they go through that metamorphosis, right? You, you think about that, that that caterpillar. It doesn't get a choice to change, does it? It you know, this caterpillar this caterpillar doesn't get to say, I don't want to be a butterfly. He he doesn't get to say, I'm not going to that cocoon because I, I don't want to change. He doesn't get to go to that cocoon and try it on for a minute and say, Well, this really isn't for me, right? Neither is it for Christians. Did you hear me? We neither is it for Christians we have the responsibility we're to, we're to change and not to be like the rest of the world we're to balance out that scale and anything less you're not you're not you're not flying you're not living the abundant life there's no there's not going to be peace the only way we have peace and unity and and all those things and, and enjoying the abundant life is by allowing that grace that is given to us to change and it's seen in those four parts, it's seen in our humility. It's seen in our gentleness, in our patience, in our fair, in our forbearing of one another. Do we get it? But it all starts by balancing out, showing ourselves worthy of being called. Number two, number two. Hey, listen, God's not finished with us yet, right? Number two, life change was secured by Jesus. Now, lean in. And uh, because for a lot of you, this is unfamiliar territory. And um, you're going to think we might be getting off the point here, but we'll make the point with this. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 takes us to an Old Testament quotation from Psalms chapter 68. He says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended in himself also, he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Now, in the context, in ancient times, when a nation conquered its enemy, the victorious king would lead a great processional through the streets of his home city. Now, behind him marched all the troops in their, in their shining array. And along with the soldiers, there were the prisoners of war who had been captured by the enemy. But they were now free to live a free life by the king. Now, finally, in that, in that processional, there is livestock, but there's also, there would be wagon loads full of treasure, gold and silver, um, jewelry and all those different things. And what the king would do is he would park that wagon and all this livestock, and all the people would would come in and the king would give each person some of this treasure. Might give them a, a goat, might give him a, a cow, might might give him, you know, some of this jewelry or gold or silver, whatever his things is, but the king would give all of this treasure that was taken from the enemy And he would give it to his people to to remind them of the victorious victory that they had in that combat. Do you see it? So that's the context of this. Now you take Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8, and this describes a processional led by Jesus Christ. And we understand that he took on the full force of, a world's, of the world's sin, and it was allied as it was with death, and he contended with, with the one behind both, and that was Satan and all of his armies of demons. And that final battle ensued atop of a hill just outside of Jerusalem called Mount Calvary. And it was there that Jesus was suspended above the earth on a cross, and that is where Jesus Christ conquered sin. In response to this, Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 tells us that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphant over them by him, by Christ. And so King Jesus uh, has in his processional ascension into heaven the shattered forces of the enemy. Look, he also leads a host of captives. He gave gifts to people along with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus gave saving grace and serving grace as a token, as a reminder of what he has conquered on this earth. Everybody, do we get it? And that's what these verses are talking about. But don't miss what happened after the battle. Look at verse 9. After Jesus hung on the cross and after He died for our sins and He conquered death, and again there was this procession, and of course we know the devil is still loose to go free now, but we understand that He conquered death. He, he finished and fulfilled all that the Old Testament had, had as its to be done. And He says in verse 9, tells us about He descended to the lower parts of the earth. Between His death and resurrection, Jesus went to a specific place for a specific, for a specific purpose. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, says that he was put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. In that state, he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Now, so while they were burying his dead body on earth, his spirit was very active. Now, in the days of the Old Testament and the Gospels, the Bible gives us a brief glimpse into a place where the dead would go. And if you were dead... Physically dead, you went to, and, 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 you, and you did not know God, then you went to a place called Hades. If you are a believer in God, there was a holding place. It wasn't heaven, but there was a holding place. And we see this in the gospel accounts, and we see this through the story of Lazarus and the rich man, right? And so there was two places. The rich man was in Hades in hell, and he was in, he's, he was in torment. And then we see that Lazarus was in another place, and it was called Abraham's bosom. It was a place of holding. It was a place of holding. So what was Jesus doing during this time that, that he was put into the tomb for three days? What was his spirit doing? The Bible says that what Jesus did was, is he died for our sins, and he, he conquered death in his resurrection amen but during that time and while he was in the tomb he went to those places where the captives were and he proclaimed who he was that he was king jesus and he overpowered and conquered death and so he took everyone in Abraham's bosom, the one who was waiting in the, for that promise of the Messiah to come, the one who was looking towards that, he went into Abraham's bosom, he made that proclamation, the chains were, were gone, and he took those people into heaven. Hallelujah. And then the ones who were in Hades, the ones who were in hell, he went down there and he proclaimed himself as Jesus Christ the King and that he overcame death, but to them they had already made their choice. You see? That's what those verses mean. So you say, well then what does all that mean, Pastor? What is, what is, how does that afford me to change? The change is that Jesus Christ has already done it for you. He's already beat sin. And all we have to do is align ourselves with Him, accept that gift of grace, the grace that saves us and the grace that, that, that builds into us each day of an abundant life. And balance those scales by the grace that he gives us. Amen? Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians just for a minute. To the book of Philippians. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. The point number 3 is it's time to act on the truth. All of us have seen what happens when it rains hard, haven't we? Um, water finds the path of least resistance by which to flow to the, lo- to the lowest point. Let it rain long enough and let the water rain- run off long enough, it'll cut a groove into the dirt. Uh, you let it go a little bit longer, it'll make a trench. You let that water go enough time, a hundred years or whatever. Couple hundred years, it'll make a riverbed, won't it? You let that water go long enough, it's going to make a riverbed. So, how do you stop water from flowing down the path of least resistance? You dam it up. You dam it up. How do you stop temptation from traveling down the well worn path to sin? It is found in you. You dam it up. With what? the victory of Jesus Christ, that he overcame temptation, that he set the captives free, that he overcame death for us. You damn it up with the victory of Jesus Christ. Before we look at Philippians, Romans chapter 6, it's on the screen for you. It says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may multiply? Paul says, absolutely not. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Or or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. You see, breaking free from dominant power of sin is not an option for us as Christians. Because everything Jesus accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection, listen, it applies to you directly. That's that grace, that measure of grace that he has given us. He died for sin so that we have to die for sin. And he was raised raised victorious, and we have to understand that, listen, that we were raised victorious. That's what a clearly different walk is. So So how does all this enable me to change, to become more like Christ? Well, to say it this way, you are totally linked to Christ. And what he has won. Ephesians 4, chapter 4 describes the moment in history that he won that. And he wants us to claim that. And that's how you do it. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Now, you say, Pastor, if that's so, then why do I lose more than I win? Why do I lose more than I win? Well, one of two reasons. Either you're not a true Christian, or most likely if you have done those things, you just truly haven't believed the victory that Jesus Christ has done for you. Amen? We struggle... With whatever sin it is, why can't we get in a grasp on it? Why can't we get victory over it? Well, most of the time it's just because we don't believe. We don't believe. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And it says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or I have already become perfect, look at it, but I press on so that I may lay a hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of it yet, but one thing I do "'Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, "'I press on toward the goal for the prize "'of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. "'Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, "'have this attitude, and if, and if in anything "'you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. "'However, let us keep living by that same standard "'to which we have attained.'" And that is the victory of Jesus Christ. That is the victory of Jesus Christ. So you say, Pastor, how do I change? You believe what Jesus Christ has done for you. You believe you walk by faith and not by sight. You believe and you know and you live your life in such a way that you know that Jesus' victory is your victory. He overcame sin for you and you overcome sin by the power that you have in Jesus Christ. You, 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 you come to realize and to acknowledge that I have a different way to walk now, and we step on those scales, and we show, we show our life to be worthy of that which we are called in Jesus Christ, that we balance those scales. Only you can do it through the grace that has been given to each one of us. Amen, everybody. Amen. Let's stand and bow our heads just for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. You know, the first thing we have to do is we have to balance that scale. I mean, it's what Scripture says. I beseech beseech thee that you walk worthy of the vocation or the calling in which you were called by. Every head, every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you balance the scale? If you balance the scale, then you're, you're going to be a person of humility, of patience, of gentleness, of forbearing one another, all in love. That's how you tell whether or not you're balancing that. Maybe you don't have those things or you can't balance it. Maybe, A, maybe you, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Yeah, you, you go to church and, yes, you call yourself a Christian, but, but is your walk clearly different that you're showing that, that, that there is something different about you? Maybe this morning you need to take that first step and become born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. And to understand the victory that he's won for you. And then maybe you're here this morning and and you know you don't balance those scales. Maybe you believed it one time, but it's just got a little fuzzy over the years. Maybe you need to come this morning and rededicate yourself and balance those scales. Because listen, Jesus Christ has given us an abundant life a life of peace and a life of victory but we have to walk a life that is worthy of Jesus Christ not one that's worthy of this world not a life that is that is that is better than most but a life that is worthy of our savior Jesus Christ father we come to you this morning and we thank you for the grace that you've given us for salvation But we also thank you for that measure of grace that you've given us so that we can serve each other and serve our God. And when we do all those things, um, harmony takes place and unity and love. And there's gentleness. There's forgiveness. There's humility. In our homes, perhaps our sin nature, those sins that so so easily besets us are just causing great problems with, with other people. Lord, I pray this morning for each and every single one of us, Lord, that we'll place all of those things under the blood of Jesus Christ and that we receive and know that we have the power to change through that relationship in you and through you. Lord, I pray for that measure of grace to be bestowed upon us all and for for a lot of us just to acknowledge that power that's available for us. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.